Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Some hot dogs are headed for the cold bluegrass this weekend. Yep, SEC baseball is finally here. So let's talk about it here in the doghouse on the Believe Podcast Network. Welcome back to another edition of the Doghouse, uh, Thursday afternoon edition, and we'll be talking, of course, about Bulldog basketball, both the men's and women's, but for right now, the focus will be on Bulldog baseball. Yep, after seven consecutive wins, Mississippi State puts that streak on the road quite literally, first real road trip of the season, as they travel to play Kentucky, arguably one of the hottest teams in the conference at this point. And in what looked like to be pretty chilly conditions in the Bluegrass. Well, nothing new about those games. Uh, remember John Cohen talking many a time about shoveling snow off the field to get ready to play when he was head coach up at the Wildcats. I don't think uh, Nick Mingione has to do that. They have more staff in Bluegrass country these days to take care of the new field they built a couple of years ago. Still going to be cold conditions. Chris Lamonis last night after the victory in Biloxi was joking about we're not even going to take coats. Well, okay. That had to be a joke because uh, let's just think about common sense and player safety in that regard. Will I be there? No. Um, as I age, not always entirely gracefully, cold has no appeal to me, but thankfully Steve Robertson will be on the site reporting as Mississippi State opens conference play. Game time central are 5.30, 1 o'clock, both on SEC streaming and 11 a.m. Sunday live SEC network. So what's going on with the Diamond Dogs? Well, seven straight victories since they salvaged the third game in a series out at Frisco, Texas by beating Cal. They've taken care of home games with Valpo. They swept Lipscomb last week. Now they've won a couple of games midweek against both Nichols and Louisiana. So the Bulldogs have heated up at the right time to get conference play started. Can they carry that into league play? Well, it's a whole nother beast as we know. As I mentioned, too, it'll be the first true road game besides those contests in Biloxi, which were home games in all but name because great turnout by you Bulldog fans, as expected, of course, and you were rewarded with a couple of uh, nice wins. Offense, pitching, got to see a little bit of everything in the victories for Lamonis' team. But now they're going straight from the coast to the Bluegrass. Uh, don't envy that trip there. By the way, conference play is already underway this evening. Ole Miss is at Vanderbilt and Alabama is at Florida, so we get the first round of the early SEC action. But for the Bulldogs, it begins on Friday afternoon at Kentucky. And we're talking about a Kentucky team. Uh, Min Jones Club is off to a roaring start. I think they run-ruled Indiana at least once in a midweek series. That's uh, Chris Lamont's old employer, by the way. So, have they got it back together in Kentucky country? Well, after a couple of rough years, maybe so. Then again, regardless of teams and season, Lexington has been an interesting and not always productive place for Diamond Dog teams to play. I go as far back as the, oh, let's just say, for one example, the 1985 SEC champions who lost their first game managed to clinch the conference title by winning the next two, but for some reason, State just tends to struggle in games at Lexington. It, not for all the same old reasons, uh, that long-ago uh, park with right field and right center just begging for balls to leave the park regularly. Well, they've turned it around, a great new ballpark, but some things don't change, and that's Mississippi State struggles. The 2021 team had their own issues playing up there on their way to the national championship as well. 
So Kentucky's going to come in hot. Their Kentucky is going to really want to get up to a great start in conference play. And obviously, there's the personal ambitions by former Mississippi State assistant coach Min Jeong going against his former employer. We'll get more into those details, but first, let's talk about our sponsor, Bet Online. It remains your number one source for all your college basketball, yep, basketball season, betting in this postseason. Get analysis of every play, prop, and point at Bet Online. You'll find the latest odds, bracket contests, team matchups, and game trends at Bet Online, with updated odds for everything from live games right on through the Final Four and Championship game. Bet Online is your college basketball headquarters this postseason, so head to the website today or use your mobile device and sign up and receive a 50%, that's right, 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Be sure to use the promo code BLEAV, all caps, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your bonus. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. And for Mississippi State, SEC baseball starts tomorrow evening in Kentucky. What do we think of the Bulldogs at this point? Well, two good wins at Biloxi, as noted. Maybe State expected to win those games. Of course, dominating style on Tuesday evening against Nichols. A little tougher game against Lafayette. I still call them Lafayette, but a 4-2 victory. A State patched together the pitching. Uh, tried to preserve some guys for the weekend. I uh, noticed that uh, Chris Lamont has commented that Colby Holcomb, who got the start and did fairly well in the first chance, they limited his game chances because he's going to be counted on to pitch some in relief role this coming weekend. State should have the staff in the rotation ready. Um, nobody really knew expected back in the lineup unless there is a chance, and I repeat, just a chance that Larry Nixon, the reliever who's been out for several weeks, returns. Uh, all the ones would say is he's close to coming back at this point. Well, close can mean anything, and as you know, when uh, Chris Lamontis talks about injuries, I'm not even sure the CIA, KGB, or Twitter could interpret what he's saying in those regards. That said, you just hope that Nixon's available to go, but you start thinking about riding the guys who this past week against Lipscomb and even the previous weekend started establishing themselves as the rotation. Uh, first, though, let's uh, get kind of general where the team is. They did start slow. And as Lamona said, they didn't play well opening games, part of it because they're young. Part of it because they're trying to fit young guys in with veteran guys who maybe are still coming off a tough experience in 2022, but now he sees the club gaining some confidence, and goodness knows they're going to need it in this opening matchup. Highlights? Well, obviously, the transfer of Amani Larry and Colton Ludbetter have just been a blessing, a bulldog blessing all the way around for the offensive team. By the way, Larry has a hit, a run, an RBI, or some combination of all of that in the last eight games, and he's one of two Bulldogs who have reached base every game so far this season. The only other one? Think about it. Take a guess. No, not that. It's Luke Hancock. Despite everyone's attempts to put Hancock out of the batting order, even the lineup, he's managed to get on base every game so far this season, so just a little interesting note to throw in there. But yeah, with Larry setting the top of the lineup, Colton Ledbetter coming on now, the way he's been hitting the ball this season, you just have to like some of the things that this is taking shape offensively. But then again, we've liked the offense all season long. There's been nothing to particularly complain about on that side of the ball. Uh, for instance, let's look at the season stats. You know, I mentioned Larry. He's up at 367 after 18 games, and that's second best in the order. 
Bryce Chance, the new kid, redshirt if you call it new, he's worked his way all the way up to 379 in his batting average, and more to the point, his slugging is up to 517 on base percentage, close enough to 50% there. He's cut down the strikeouts, he's raised the walks, and that's what Larry's been really good at, what, four strikeouts and 15 walks so far this season. Ledbetter batting 349, Hancock hanging in there at 321. And the surprise of the last couple of weeks, Lane Forsythe, another dog that many a fan wants to shove out of the lineup. Well, all of a sudden his bat has heated up, 315 average on base rate of 486. You just can't complain much about that. And he hasn't had an error in a couple of weeks either defensively. We'll talk about defense more than that. Hunter Hines, uh, what's the popular mean from last year? Hunter Hines hates baseballs. Well, He's putting the hurting on the balls again now because he's already up to eight home runs. Added a couple the other night down in Biloxi. Boy, I'm glad I wrote that feature on him this past Friday. Good timing on that. Now, the average is still gradually creeping up there at 271. As is Kellum Clark, you expect him to have a better average than 246, but then he's slugging at over 50%. If he can just get back consistent there, you feel like you've got a chance to really start developing some more things offensively. But again, offense has not particularly been the problem so far this season. And for that matter, I've still got concerns about the offense even now. We love the long ball. Uh, Who doesn't? But if you recall, home runs were far from a problem last year, and it wasn't enough to carry the offense. If I have any concerns right now offensively, and these are just kind of general trends, nothing you can sit there and say is just an absolute tendency, but a little more generally right now, In the last couple of weeks, as the winning streak has gone on, doubles are going down. I'm not sure what to make of that. So are the walks going down, and that's definitely a concern because this is a team that needs to work pitchers a lot longer and set up the pitches they want to hit. And frankly, strikeouts are going up. They're almost now break-even for the season, walks and strikeouts. Now, it's true. Non-conference pitching can be kind of unpredictable. Whether it's starters or levers, whatever, when you go up there, you're scouting guys you're not entirely familiar with. You don't know what they're going to deliver. They don't know what they're going to deliver half the time. So maybe that factors into not taking as many walks and swinging at pitches you think are going to be in the zone but not. I don't know. That's just supposition on my part. What is not supposition is that conference pitching is going to be around the zone a whole lot more, including just off the zone, and then if the guy behind the plate prefers to call it that way, could make it a rough day for batters to take those pitches, but you have to make those decisions quicker. So the other thing, too, is you're going to have moundsmen who finish off a dog who gets behind much more easily than has been the case in this non-conference games. That's my concern offensively. The stats... All of it looks good. I mean, uh, think about what Ross Highfield is now bringing to the lineup. No, we don't expect him to hit three home runs more than a few other games, but it was nice to see him do it last week against Lipscomb. But he's got up to 14 RBI now, average 325. And for all intents and purposes, he's going to claim the catching position over time. In fact, he's only has one error so far in all the, I think, what, close to 120 total official chances. you got to love that. If the, if the freshman settles in behind the plate and gains the confidence of his pitching staff, which now with the rotation gradually taking shape, he seems to suit what they do maybe a little more so than Luke Hancock does, that really settles a problem for Coach Lamonis and Coach Gotro. 
if you know who you want to start primarily catcher, not every game, Hancock's going to get his turns behind the plate. But if you know what you're doing there, that just makes it easier to go ahead and our settle, okay? Now, here's what we do at first base, uh, Hancock or Hines. Here's what we do with DH, Hancock or Hines or Bryce Chance, other alternatives out there. So it's the, the way that Highfield is bringing his game on now is really, to me, about the most welcome development as far as the lineup goes, and for that matter, maybe the entire offense. You know, I mentioned errors. Errors are down, you know, that 3E blip against Lipscomb aside. State still has one more error on the season than the opposition does, and no, that's not a formula for SEC success. So on a cold field with the ball coming off the bat, stinging like that, this is going to be a real test for the Bulldog defense. So how do they play it? Well, you feel certain, obviously, that uh, Larry and Forsythe, the two only full-time starters this season who haven't missed a start at the second and shortstop positions, will still be where they're at. What will State do at third base? Slade Alford's not been seeing the ball all that great, though you know what his potential at the bat is. But do you go with the true freshman, David Mershon, who had to miss most of the first couple of weeks of the season, especially for opening SEC series? It's kind of a coin toss to me how they want to play it. Alford has more experience. Mershon, well, you can't really say he brings much more to the table right now offensively, but long-term you think... Alford should be the guy, but he's batting 222, Rashawn 250. That's irrelevant. It really doesn't make a difference what the averages are at this point. It's who are you more comfortable with because now you're about to face an SEC offense, which is going to make contact, going to put the ball in play. You can't give up the routine plays defensively. You just got to make them all. How does State feel more comfortable, Alford or Mershon? We won't find out probably until the starting lineup is announced tomorrow evening, and frankly, I have no preference either because I don't know that either has shown that they're the guy for absolutely sure and certain. Hopefully one does establish it there, but that's going to be a work in progress. As far as the outfield defense, well, you know, that Ledbetter's going to be playing out in center, and now Kellum Clark has established himself firmly in right field. The way that Bryce Chance has come on offensively and the way that Dakota Jordan has been struggling offensively with, what, 233 average right now, you've just got to think that Chance is going to be the guy to ride with. Now, I say all this and then have to remind myself that uh, Chris Lamonis does like the uh, right, left, right, left, left, right, left, right kind of it. Below towards the end of the order, he'll go with uh, either consecutive lefties, consecutive righties, however it works out for that day. So this, this, what I'll be watching for this weekend, well, obviously beside the results, is who's in the order, what the order is, and how they line it up against Kentucky and the style of play that the Wildcats are going to bring into the game. As far as pitching goes, it looks like the rotation will remain the same for another weekend with uh, Gerangelo Sanja going on uh, Friday. And his game last week against Lipscomb, he, he didn't dominate, but he threw well enough. He's a guy who's still working into that groove of settling down and being a starter. And, hey, it's, yes, his big story is that he throws with both hands. Okay, let's get that out of the way. The bigger story is if this kid comes in and establishes himself as a true Friday night starter for a whole SEC season, that is something worth talking about. And if he does, well, the Bulldogs are so much the better as far as the rest of the season's rotation goes. 
Of course, uh, you know, Aintema will be getting the game two uh, probably at this point. Landon Gartman, now that's interesting. How do you want to work him? Would you? Of course, last week State was forced into playing a weathered doubleheader on Saturday, so there's really no rest advantage either way. If you wanted to move Gartman up to the Saturday roll this time, he wouldn't be losing any rest. If you want to stick with Aintema, well, same thing. So there's a lot to watch this weekend about what Scott Foxhole does with his rotation. Not so much who will be in it, but how does he break it down over day by day by day. And again, the left-right sort of thing could enter into the factor how it matches up Kentucky once they get a good scouting report on the Wildcats as well. I mentioned uh, Nixon coming close to coming back. That will be big news when he does because then you add another option to your rotation. Now, taking Nate Dome out of his current role as closer. He picked up another save this past weekend. That's a tough call. It, it's When you have a guy you know is going to run out there and finish off a game for you, boy, it's tough to decide that uh, let's move him around a little bit. But he's good enough. He's certainly more than good enough. He, he's a guy, what, 18 strikeouts, only four walks so far, and that's in 16-2 innings. When you add that element now as a possibility for your rotation, you've really got something going. Do I think they do it this weekend? Probably not. I think they'll have to wait until Nixon is for sure ready to go because then he steps in in that closing role. But I really don't put it past state. If they can get by... Somehow, without having to use Dome on Friday, maybe even on Saturday, would I be totally shocked if he walked out there on Sunday in kind of a combined starting role with Gartman? No, I wouldn't. Not at all. Fox Hall has shown that he will do that. Um, it's Maybe it's a little early in the season to try something like that, but then again, is it ever too early in SEC season? Because the clock really runs fast, and you can't afford to fall too far behind in the conference play. So what's my concerns about the pitching? Well, again, there's, the walks have increased a little more than I'm comfortable with. Uh, now the total, in fact, is uh, not even quite 2-1, to one. 205 strikeouts, 109 walks so far this season. You really, truly need to be at least better than 2-1, to one, and frankly, a higher percentage of that is much more desirable. You're fixing to face SEC batters who will just outweigh you. Uh, some of the walks on the previous conference, non-conference games have been batters who were confused or didn't want to take a chance or hoped they were facing guys, especially out of the bullpen, that didn't have the same control. State starting rotation. If they can come close to giving what they did against Lipscomb, what, over 17 total innings in the three starts, then I think the Bulldogs will be in good shape for the weekend, certainly pitching-wise. It comes down to how much offensive support and can the defense make the plays behind them. I simply cannot stress enough the confidence factor, and especially for the bullpen dogs. When they come in, they've got to have confidence that the defense will make the plays because they're going to try to force Kentucky to put the ball on the ground. This is not a Kentucky team you line up and just try to strike them out all the time. That It'd be great if you could do it, and you never know what will happen as games develop because it's the first weekend of conference season. You're still getting a read on guys. But by and large, your rule of thumb is you want to get ahead in the count and force them to beat the ball on the ground, and then your infield make the plays. If the pitching staff is confident in the infield making the plays, then you're already ahead of the game. If they don't have that confidence, well, then that 
does funky things to a guy's arm when he's lining up to pitch that 1-2 or 2-1 offering up against a guy. Well, a big weekend, a fun weekend. It's SEC baseball. What could be more fun than that? It'd be more fun, well, yeah, if it was home opener, but that's how the conference schedule's broken. State uh, did not play Kentucky last season, of course. The last trip up there was, as noted, in 2021, and before that they didn't play in Lexington since 2018. So not exactly familiar ground for the Diamond Dogs, but it's an old name. It's a conference opponent. So let's see what happens as we go through this opening weekend. All right, quickly, basketball. I really thought that tip-in was going to go in. I, I just it, it it wasn't the missed shot because you you take your chances. Gilmore throws up a three attempt, and hey, the fact that he was so wide open, all sorts of credit to Chris Jan's offense for running a play and getting Pitt just totally lost defensively, getting the open shot. It either goes or it doesn't. And given the nature of this team as a three-point shooting team, no shock that it didn't go down. But, oh, the tip was there. I, I, that genuinely was my one big surprise in the game, that somehow the tip didn't go down. So what do we think about the Bulldog basketball season year one to Chris Jans? Well, positive in almost every sort of way. Yeah, we'll still look back on games with Georgia and Florida as the ones that got away, and to some extent also the non-coverage game with Drake. In fact, if you win any of those three, and I mean any of those three, you're not playing on the first Tuesday night of the NCAA tournament. You're playing today or Friday in the real opening round and with a more favorable matchup. But all things considered, for this team to win 21 games, and I've got, I, I have to get this shot in. Mississippi State won as many games on the hardwood this year as Ole Miss lost. Take that for what it's worth with all the uh, fun and fury going on in Oxford. Now they've added a new coach up there. Just a little cute little reminder there about the rivalry. State finished tied for ninth in the SEC. Again, if you beat Georgia or Florida, you're in the top half. You've got a better seating, this, that, and the other. That's just the nature of the first season under Coach Jans. They had things in their reach that they weren't quite capable of pulling off 99% of the time because the offense just wasn't there. But we knew that. We knew this was going to be an offensive struggle all season long. Tolu Smith, does he come back? Well, boy, would that make a lot of people happy in Startville and a lot of people unhappy around the SEC. Not because we expect Tolu to make huge strides individually next year if he does return for one more college season. If he just does what he did this past year, well, and make a few more free throws, then you've got everything you can ask because you're absolutely expecting Jans to put a better offensive team around him. You're looking for a true point guard out there. You're looking for better shooting. Already, State is raiding the portal. They're picking up guys from the rivals. They're going to be courting all spring long when the next window opens up. This will be a new-look team, and if you have an old guy like Smith in the middle, but even if you don't, let's assume that Tolu decides he wants to go take his chances and try to develop some sort of pro career. God bless you. Um, It's still going to be a program that's headed in the right direction. You just can't look at the way this team played. And, and to me, that's the bigger takeaway. It's not the personnel this past season. In fact, in a way, the personnel was the side story because you were winning games in spite of personnel in quite a few situations. It was the attitude. It was the effort. We talk about 
defense as something that travels, something to be consistent, and that's true. It should be. I don't think fans sometimes realize the effort it takes to keep a team playing hard defensively from the start of practices in October all the way through their last game in March. It's a lot harder than it sounds. This bunch bought into it. And not so much because Jans threatened them or benched people or did things like that. No, he had a team that bought into the vision that he brought to them of if you play hard defense, if you play consistent defense, you can make up for some of your offensive lapses, you can win games, and you can establish yourself. Maybe this is the way we should look at Mississippi State basketball right now. With the possible exception of Alabama because of their offensive power, Mississippi State has to be the other team that any other SEC team in 2022-23 least wanted to play. What a statement that is, and I think I can back it up, because not just because State played good defense and hard defense, it was the style, the intensity, the relentlessness of the defensive team that made other teams work so hard for the points they got, with very rare exceptions, when a team just playing out like what the first half at Tennessee, maybe, uh, maybe a couple stretches by Alabama and a few others, teams struggled so hard to score against State. They loathed playing Jan's team. The dentist headline. I wouldn't be surprised if that came more from opponents than it did from even the promotion side at Mississippi State. When you hate playing a team because they make life so hard on you. That's something you can build on. Offense comes and goes. Yes, you hate to play these high-scoring teams like the Alabamas and others, but there's also a kind of a fun factor, maybe that, oh, well, maybe we can match points with them. Nobody is going to sit there and say, we want to match a grind, just scratch, claw, push, shove, relentless effort end-to-end, every loose ball, every shot in the air. We hate playing that way. Mississippi State made a living playing that way and made a living all the way into the NCAA tournament. That, to me, is the story of this first season. He brought in an attitude. He took a team that, quite bluntly, in previous years, the returning players, they knew defense mattered and they could play good at times, but just end of games, there was always the letdown. And that's just how it was. And that's all we're going to say about the previous regime as far as that goes. Chris Jans was able to keep it going a full season long with the knowledge all along that there is talent coming in that can score the ball. You plug that in, then you've got the makings of a program that is going to be a consistent participant in the postseason. You've got a team that next year we don't have to worry about are they going to finish in the top half of the SEC or not. No, that's going to be a team that's going to be can they finish the top third of the conference? Are they going to push for titles? What are they going to do? Because any team that plays that hard on one end, you bring the same attitude to the offensive end along with the skill to pull it off. You've got the makings of the kind of program that Mississippi State has wanted for so many years now since, well, frankly, quite over a decade. And even some of those teams we enjoyed back early 2010s didn't play really hard all the time consistently. You get this team playing hard at both ends of the court with the skill to match up with it, It's going to be a really good winner to have Humphrey Coliseum fully open for business once again. And the same applies, maybe even more so, for the Lady Bulldogs. At the risk of making angry some of the um, 
Um, I, I've noticed that men's basketball fans here are just a little touchy on the subject when you bring up any other sport doing well. Just deal with it, guys. I mean, let your program stand on their, its own merits and don't worry about what others do. I'm going to say it right out. Sam Purcell is Mississippi State's Coach of the Year. I was going to say so even before last night's victory of Illinois. The way they took it to the Illini, I mean, they, they, they defended Illinois better than Zach Arnett's team did in the bowl game. They made it harder for them to score so much of the game. That's a team that, by the way, and even I'd overlook this as well, they finished tied for fifth in the SEC. Now, you think about early January after some consecutive tough and even ugly losses to Ole Miss and Georgia. There were fans thinking, did, why did we pick a first-time head coach? How do we promote this assistant? Sure, he's fun and energetic, but can this guy actually put a program together? That question's been answered. Mississippi State has won its play-in game for the NCAAs. They'll be playing against Creighton on Friday afternoon. A chance to keep advancing in it, but even if they don't advance, they've already done something pretty dadgum incredible. I was speaking on SEC Radio this past week and talking about the job Purcell's done, and I said, what you have to appreciate is he took over a broken program. Think about it. The ladies on that roster who were still around had been through now their fourth coach in as many years. They lost. They had the coach who led the program to glory abruptly just decide to go leave and play for a team that, by the way, will be in the conference in two more years. They had the replacement. Uh, hired, looked good on paper, just didn't pan out. All of a sudden, she has to retire. And the substitute coach, Abe, Doug Novak did a fine job last year, but it was made clear he was never going to be the head coach, so think of all the uncertainty that implies. Whatever else John Cohen did or didn't do at Mississippi State, you're going to have to say that the hires of Chris Jans and Sam Purcell are definitely positives in his overall Bulldog account as athletic director. Purcell may be the most, at least for this first year. He is my coach of the year at Mississippi State, no matter what happens the rest of this athletic season, for taking this program, like I said, it was broken. Emotionally, uh, mentally, even the fans were giving up. Well, the fans have come back. They've been rewarded. Now they're getting to watch their team play on the biggest stage. It's an amazing story, and Robbie Falk has done a great job covering it for us on Gene's page, and he'll have more coverage as well, of course, of the Creighton game. It's just so much of reward to see this program that we got used to being good. Now, I've been around this program a very long time. Y'all know how long. And back when women's basketball was not even an afterthought at Mississippi State, then we had the brief good years under Sharon Fanning. Then Vic Schaefer took over and after a couple of rebuild seasons, took it to the heights. Then it all went away so quick, so fast, which reminds you how fragile it can be in this league. I've said before that maybe SEC women's basketball is not as good top to bottom as it used to be. That is not at all a slight on what Mississippi State did this year because the SEC is very top-heavy, and Mississippi State played with some of those top teams. The double overtime win against Tennessee may be a defining moment, in fact, when we finally get the overall summation of the Purcell era here at Mississippi State. And by the way, you feel awfully good now about Purcell being locked down for the coming years. There was some thought midseason that uh, maybe a job would open up elsewhere. It isn't. He's going to stay here, and why not? He's got 
a great rapport with fans. It's fun to watch him talking on post game. The media already has taken a liking to him, and they like him a lot better when he wins. And his team is now winning. Congratulations to the Lady Bulldogs as they move on. Hopefully they keep playing into the next weekend. Either way, a fabulous season for Bulldog women's basketball. A great turnaround rewarding season for men's basketball as well. Those sports are back. Humphrey Coliseum is going to be back to full speed, full strength, and full excitement in 2023-24 and beyond. And as far as full speed, of course, as we mentioned, baseball back to full speed because they're starting conference play this weekend. And quickly, we'll just uh, remind that spring football was off this past week during spring break. They resume practices next Tuesday with Zach Garnett and team. Next week, the pads go fully on. The contact starts. We'll start getting a real read on how things like the run game is working or the safety showing improvement, et cetera, and so on. A lot to cover. But then it's a lot of fun to be covering it because it's been just a great week for Bulldog sports all around. Hopefully an even greater weekend for both baseball and ladies basketball. And, of course, we following recruiting for Sam Purcell and Chris Jans as they go on into this spring. Well, that's our doghouse for this Thursday, also our weekend edition. Thanks for tuning in. and Keep an eye on our sponsor, Bet Online, where the game starts because – March Madness underway. Nope, I didn't do a bracket. I made my really lucky stab with a bracket oh, close to 25 years ago and said, okay, I'll retire 1-0 and as far as this goes after winning the office pool. And yeah, it was pure luck back then, obviously. So all of y'all who enjoy watching brackets, well, the best of luck to all of you there. Until then, thank you for tuning in to The Doghouse. This is your host, David Murray. We'll be talking to you again soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.